David, the shepherd boy. David, the giant slayer. David, the king. Much could be said about David from the Old Testament, but what he said about God is far more interesting. His poems that he wrote from his experience with God are collected in the Psalms. Think about how ancient that they are, almost 3,000 years ago written, and yet we have them not in a museum, but they're on your phone with your Bible app. They're on your shelf at home. They're in the pew in front of you. All of these words that have been spoken so long ago and yet so relevant even today. The Psalms. These poems of David were written not as a Bible scholar, as if these were the doctrines to know of God, to hold dear, and to stand upon and confess. Although all of these, from God's omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence, His all-knowing, all-power, and all-presence, all of these are written in the Psalms of David, but that's not why he wrote. Scholars and theologians take these words and use them to show us who God is in our doctrines, but David had another purpose for writing. Nor was David a parish pastor in that weekly grind to produce some kind of sermon every week or devotional thought for his people, wondering what to say next and throwing himself before God. God, give me a word. Oh, did I share too much? Okay, okay. No, David, David is simply writing as someone who has a God that he has to express. This is what it's like to live under his hand. This is what it's like to live under the almighty power and the all-knowing and the all-loving God. This is what it's like for me. And, and in Psalm 139 is no different than any other psalm of a very personal experience of God. God, you know me. You search me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Before a word is on my lips, ah, you know it completely. Yeah, theologians use this to talk about the uh, omniscience of God, that he knows everything. But as David thought about his relationship with God and just how well he is known. I mean, think about it. God knows each one of us that well. What, eight billion people on the earth, and, and yet God knows what you're thinking. And, and as David thought about that, it kind of broke his brain, and he said, ah, such one knowledge is too wonderful for me to really take in. It can even lead us to some very dead-end moments as we think about God, that, you know, he really knows everything about us, every word on our lips, some people lead to themselves to a very unfortunate conclusion that, well, then why pray if God knows everything? If He knows what I'm going to say, you know? And of all the problems that we're going to encounter with David's psalm, this one's actually probably the easiest in that you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a pastor. You just have to be somebody who's lived in a family for more than a couple weeks to realize, oh, wait a minute, okay, I see. Because every parent 
knows what, right? You know what your kids are thinking. <laughs> you know what your kids are going to say a lot of the times. You know, you bring out a plate of cookies, you know what's going to be said. Oh, can I have one? Nope, got to save these. No, can I? No. Or you, you bring out broccoli as the main entree for, whoa, whoa. Oh, thank you. You know, we, we know what our kids are going to say, and yet think of how, how deteriorating the, the, this, the relationship would be if your kids re, would refuse to speak to you because you know what I'm going to say anyway. That, that's a bad moment in family life. No, even when you know exactly what your spouse is thinking, and in my house that's quite often, and even when you know exactly what your friend is going to say, we still desire the dialogue. The give and take of conversation is where the emotional bonds are maintained. If you don't talk to people, your relationship withers. It dies. And so it is with God. He invites us to talk to Him because that's where relationships are maintained. And something very unusual can happen in the conversation. Even when you might know exactly what's going to be said, something unexpected uh, obviously happened in the prayer life of not only David, but another king of Israel, King Hezekiah. You might remember, I know it's kind of an obscure story, but you might remember the prophet came to King Hezekiah and, and told him, pack your bags, you're going to die soon. Get your house in order. And Hezekiah just drops to the ground, Lord, no, please give me more time. Do you remember what happened? God sent the prophet right back into the king's palace. Hey, tell him I'm going to give him 15 more years. <gasps> now, did God know exactly what King Hezekiah was going to pray in that moment? Yeah, I mean, I think we could figure it out too. But if King Hezekiah had not spoken to God, would he have received the 15 years? Probably not. You have not because you've asked not. We talk because main. Relationships are maintained in the intimate sharing of even things we know. And that's what David was just amazed about. The Lord, you know me, and yet you still want to hear from me. And, and not only does God know everything about us, David went on to say, but <laughs> every day and everywhere you are there. I cannot go anywhere and you're not there. I can't hide in the dark. You can see in the dark. I, I can't take the wings of the dawn and fly to a far place of the earth or plunge myself into the sea to the bottom. Even there, your right hand is with me. The omnipresence of God in that he is everywhere also can be a problem for some people. You know, it's a problem for people and, and they're decent people, okay? They're just people that, that need to have some proof. They need to have evidence. I will, I will believe in God until you can prove that he exists. I mean, think about it. If God is everywhere, then it should be pretty easy to say, and here he is. And yet we find that we cannot scientifically observe God with a telescope or a microscope or any other kind of scope. And then there's another problem. One human being cannot prove the existence of God to another human being. 
Although, heaven help us, we try. I mean, you do a little Google search, and you're like, a biologist proves God with his experiments, or a physicist now proves God, or a pastor now proves God. Now, you just can't do it. We have to concede the fact that you cannot observe God through any kind of scientific instrument, and you cannot prove God to another human being. So why is it that David felt that he just couldn't go anywhere without bumping into God, and yet... Most people do not have that problem. Well, it, it is true that you cannot find God on your own, but He can find you, right? And having found you, give you such a faith that you've been so convinced that you can't go anywhere, and you're so grateful that you can never be lost to Him. You can never go so far away from him that he cannot find you, that, that not even death can separate you from him. Even if you were to go to the very depths of Sheol, this is the realm of the dead in the Old Testament, or up to the heights of the heavens, you are there. So as, as David makes all these confessions, he has, he has answers for us. But he's not done. He's got a, one more omni to throw at us, and that's the omnipotence of God, the, the all-powerful God, that, that he's so powerful that, that he's, he's not only made us, but he's determined our days. You know, bef before we ever walk the face of the earth, every day for us in detail has been written out in the book. Everything about us, from our first breath of life to our last sigh of death. Before one of them came to be, you knew it completely. And, and this really is a troubling aspect for anyone that thinks that they have some kind of choice in life. Like to think I make decisions on my own. I'm free to do so. Made the choice to come church today. And it was a struggle because it was cold. Okay, you get the idea. Well, you made choices today. You chose your clothes. You chose what to eat or not eat this morning. All these choices you've made. And yet, all these things have been written out in the book before one of them came to be. Yeah, this will definitely break your brain. And it kind of did for David, too. When he thought about all this, he said, ah, How precious are your thoughts, O Lord. How vast is the sum of them? I cannot take it all in and make it all make sense in my life. It's just too much. So how do we make sense of everything's been predetermined and yet I seem to make some choices in life? Well, we may not be able like David to put it all together, but that doesn't mean that we don't have some things to stand on and feel pretty good about. And so I'd like to take you on a bit of a, uh, a thought experiment, if, if you'll come with me. Just, just imagine for a moment that you have all of the resources of the universe available to you for your use. All the power, time, energy, everything is available to you to use. And you can do whatever you want with it. And I have not done yet. And there were no consequences to whatever you chose to do. Okay, you think about your answers. What would you do if you could do anything you wanted, no consequences? Okay, think about that. 
All right, all right. Now compare your answer to this. Whatever you decided that you could and want to do, was that thing that you're wanting to do to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to obey every last commandment for love's sake? If you need a little help kind of comparing the two, uh, David says, I've got a little prayer for you. You could do, uh, uh, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any grievous way in me. And I think that we might realize within ourselves, yes, we have complete and utter freedom to choose things, but when we really have the choice between doing what we want and what God wants, we do what we want. So are we really free? You're thinking, well, well, wait, it's just our sinful nature. Of course, we've got a problem. Yeah. Huh? Go to the garden. There was no sin in the garden, right? Go to the first man and woman. They had everything available to them. They could do absolutely anything they wanted, except this one thing. And guess what's the one thing that they really wanted to do? And there was no sin that was informing or shaping or pushing them. This is something about us, that when we have a choice to do what we really want to do, we do what we want to do. And it is not to love God or obey His commands. And that puts us in a very interesting position with a holy God who says, be perfect as I am perfect. Although there was one human being who came to this earth not to do his will, but to do the will of him who sent him, Jesus. Now, now Jesus certainly had his own ideas of what would be good for him and what he would like to do, and, and it wasn't necessarily in line with what the Father wanted. And we know this for a fact because we get to hear what he said in the garden, not of Eden, but of Gethsemane. And with Many tears, with loud wailing, with such intensity that he sweat drops of blood, and he asked that, that the cup of suffering of the cross be taken from him, and yet, not once, but twice, three times he's praying this. And yet, in the end, he did what was exactly written about him in the book, and that he died on the cross. Not because he had to, because it was written in the book, but because the ultimate will of Jesus was not his own, but that his Father's will would be done. And in the mystery of the crucifixion of Jesus and in his resurrection, you and I have been brought by the Holy Spirit into Jesus and have been given the gift of new life in Jesus in which we now have this life where what God wants done can be done. That we love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that every word that's been written in the book we do, because Jesus is loving the Father, and Jesus is doing, and our lives are hidden within Him. So we find ourselves then in this great war. I've got these things that I really want to do. And then I've got this new life in Jesus. 
and they are at odds with each other, the life of the Spirit and the life of my flesh. And that's the reason David had a prayer life the way he did. Poem after poem, with this great war that goes on inside of each of us. And so he, he writes Psalm 51, his great confession of sin, which we use in worship. His great confession of, of the tenderness and the leading of God into every good thing for His namesake. Psalm 23 that we use in worship. Psalms of praises like Psalm 34. I bless the Lord at all times. All of these poems are instructing and informing us how we live in this new life with God of grace and forgiveness of cleansing of His. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This life that we have is a life that will be ongoing. That you'll need to know the Psalms. You'll need to read them and, and to pray them because there the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us in this life with Jesus. And so to Him alone be all glory and honor and praise. Amen.